tell you what, you sound like you could start your own motivational podcast like, <laughs> along, along the side. Yeah, I'll try my best. Yeah, you could wake me up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Only work you what you're paid this. for today. <laughs> I'm all right. Welcome to the Media Week podcast, the podcast made for media people by media people. Don't worry, we're not your CEOs just yet. We're your common media folk in the weeds of the day to day. Each episode, we'll share opinions on hot topics in the media world, along with some bants to keep you going on a Friday afternoon. So who's in the room? It's me, your host, Harriet from Publicis, Jack from Craft. Happy New Year. And Buki from Wavemaker. Oh, you stole my line, but Happy New Year, everyone. Missed you. <laughs> in today's episode, we aim to brighten up your gloomy January by saving you the effort of sitting through a billion media trends reports and bringing you the hottest predicted industry trends for 2024. Admittedly, we are all trying to remember what we do for a living after the holidays, so please bear with us, we may be a little rusty. But okay. first... In industry news, hold on to your hats. The prestigious Media Week 30 Under 30 Awards is back and open for entries. Yes, that's right. Media Week are looking for this year's talent shaping the future of the media landscape. The early bird deadline is the 31st of January, so start entering. You could end up like us. Tired, depressed, hosting a podcast on a Friday afternoon. Just kidding. We need I was like, wow, that is, we need to that is savage. Script. I didn't get a sign off on this. I am energised and, and positive, as always. Wow, that was so funny. Guys, I did say just kidding. Okay, right. Obviously. In social... According to latest news, good old M. Zucky, Mark Zuckerberg, has sold a considerable amount of Meta stock in the last two months. Reported in Bloomberg, almost half a billion dollars of stock was sold following a 194% rise in stock price. You kind of think it's because something's coming. I kind of took a different view and I was like, does he think this is as far as Meta's going? Because apparently he only ever sells shares to fund philanthropic initiatives. But like you said, they were on a downward spiral. For, any, for people listening who can't see, which is anyone outside of this room, uh, you did some little kind of uh, air, par- quotes. air quote parenthesis yes. vibes. Philanthropic initiatives. However, yeah. they've been on the down for a while. They've now had a huge upwards and it's kind of like, oh, is he getting out while the going's good? And he's like, let me quickly store some cash money before something that's coming absolutely tanks my share price and no one mm. wants the shares anymore. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll keep an eye on it. Tune in to the next episode. Um, across what the sea. <laughs> across the CTV landscape, Warner Brothers films are apparently seeing a surge in popularity on Netflix, some surpassing Netflix originals in popularity following a deal made to bring those movies to the streaming platform. Warner Brothers' SVOD service, Max, has begun its European rollout across Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Andorra and Spain, but it's yet to be introduced in the UK. Right. With Warner Brothers partnering with established platforms, will HBO Max debut in the UK soon? Probably. I mean, we're just, everyone's having a crack at it now, aren't they? And we're just getting towards the point where it's, there'll be too many different streaming services and someone will just bundle them all together and it it'll really be is. like, 
Is there? I mean, there's there's far too many. Oh no, I thought you meant someone's already bundled. Oh them. no, oh no, no. Because no, that no, if you, when you that would if really you get to the news. point where you can bundle them and then bring them together at a discounted rate, suddenly it's like, oh, we have the new sky or, or whatever. But surely that's coming with that. Because I was doing a bit of research on that. Because like one article actually said that it's a problem for Netflix that someone else's content is trending ahead of their own content on their platform, which mm. I actually don't. I don't see as an issue. I think. It might even be Netflix that is the one that combines everyone together because they are almost the market leaders in this space. They're the ones who started it all out. And in my opinion, I think the HBO Max is probably, I think, eighth or ninth out of all the streaming services currently. Netflix is top. So you're getting your content seen by bare people, mm-hmm. firstly, and getting paid for it because it's not like they just gave it to Netflix for free. I can only assume they're getting paid for that as well. So Warner Brothers are winning. Netflix is winning because people are getting the content they want to see in the same place where they already have a subscription. Brilliant. The audience wins, Netflix wins, one bubble in. I don't see anyone who's losing at this stage. I would say Netflix isn't winning, really. Well, Netflix is plateauing, isn't it? Yeah. A bit. But the thing about HBO Max, right, and that's that's the, the point of why we're talking about this specifically, is like, HBO, I'm sure they've got lots of different content on there, but HBO's name is kind of built on their like super premium, like American big hitters, right? Whenever you hear that, like, psh, bah, like oh, HBO starting. Yeah, so everyone has their own one, right? I always think of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I can't hear the jingle without being like, bum, 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 And it's like, but everyone, you have your Game of Thrones. Some people like Sopranos. But the thing is, I found out recently, I think more people on average, watch like a single episode of Police Interceptors than have ever watched Game of Thrones, like in the UK. That's like, so, so funny. That's you know, it's, it's like... I love Police Interceptors. <laughs> yeah, like, there you go. Of course you do. Everyone does. But it's, but it's so I think there's a kind of almost like a cultural inflation perception around some of these like big shiny titles. And I wonder if that will just kind of actually hinder HBO Max's growth because it, it will just kind of be like, look at these amazing shows. But actually, it's way less people watching them than you might think. Mm. I don't know. Although Buki's stats would suggest otherwise. If Did you say that it's Max that's the best or in the top 10 best performing streaming services at the moment? Yeah, but it's eight out of the top 10. So it's not very... But then again, like mm. we said, it's still going through a rollout. So if you, you can't really compare it to like a Netflix, which is rolled out globally and obviously sits in number one when it's still starting its european rollout now yeah like we don't have hbo max in the uk for example stuff like that so you can't expect it to be on par just yet but that's really interesting i never really thought about it in that way in ai news google's ad sales unit is restructuring following recent advances in ai according to campaign google is exploring the benefits of leveraging ai for operational efficiency with potential layoffs in the pipeline Jesus, that's a haunting phrase, isn't it? At the end of that, potential layoffs in the pipeline. But the thing is, of all people, like Google will be among the first to get rid of people whose jobs can be turned into a robot, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings us on to the main topic. Against the backdrop of economic uncertainty and those technological advances and changing consumer behaviours, what trends do we actually think will stick this year? So here it goes. Five of the hottest predicted industry trends for 2024. Let's go. Trend one, blend of the AI and the metaverse. 
the metaverse is scrambling to stay relevant. Oh, do you know so- what? I, I was actually really hoping that the metaverse wouldn't come up because it was the one I was going to bin. God, no, it, no, that's what I mean. For my two wins and a bin. I don't think it's going to be successful. I think it's another grab at trying and it's like, oh, AI is now hot property. I'm going to try and do that. Mm. Metaverse, let it go. You know, I saw in gaming for like kind of online games coming up, they're going to start using AI to add depth to NPCs. Yes, so, I saw which, that. And like make them more kind of realistic and stuff. And I got, I got a bit of a shiver down the spine because I was like, God, if you start making them really real... And like they end up with like that's the it whole gets point. a bit bleak. Because NPCs are supposed to be just that and now they're now they're too real. Yeah. <laughs> well then then you start going, Well, are we in a simulation? I don't know, but this is probably not something for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, one we cannot deny is the cookie finally crumbling. Oh, yeah. Google is starting to block cookies with a new feature in the Chrome browser disabling them with plans for a full rollout later this year. I mean, finally. It's not like we haven't known about it, but we kind of just thought it was never, ever going to finally like come to fruition. But they've kind of just made us think it was all going away now. They've pulled the rug. Yeah. Although I found out through memes on Instagram, which is kind of... sad diving of where I'm getting my media news from. Like, legitimately, <laughs> I literally saw it on Instagram and I thought, everything we've been preparing for and just thought we'll just hold on till it happens is now kind of coming into it. So I don't know, what, what's your kind of first take? Well, I was I was going to ask, like, from a consumer standpoint, does this mean that having to accept cookies on every website, you know, that pop up, like, will you accept cookies or will you reject the cookies? And I always accept the cookies because I feel like if I live by the sword, I've got to die by the sword. That is like, my favourite quote. That is literally <laughs> my favourite quote. I say it almost once a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, will that go away? Because, you know, it's probably a good thing overall because it just makes the experience better. But I think there's quite a lot of nuance and it depends what side of the media world you come from. I think it might go away. I think the actual ins and outs of how it's going to be rolled out is going to be, you know, for Google to tell us. But I think whilst that may go away, what we'll probably end up seeing is more people having to either log in to get different types of content or uh, a lot of opt-ins because whilst this is very good for Google because you're basically saying any one third party no cookies for you man but we're Google we still have all the data we still have all the targeting so you know we're on the up and you lot aren't but I think you're going to end up with a lot of publishers being like okay cool what can we do to make sure we make Mm. our first party data more robust so whilst we might see the little cookie button disappear the journey might change because we're going to see people having to uh, sign up, log in, whatever it may be. That's my kind of the first thing I thought. So about. more sort of like mini walled gardens springing exactly up. Exactly that. I know we're obviously as marketers are a little bit anxious about this rollout, but I imagine it will change because they're saying that we're in the the testing stage or Google is in the testing stage. So no, I think I think I read somewhere that there is a deadline for it and it's like the end of the year. And if they don't go by oh, okay. September, then it's going to cause havoc with our, you know, the Black Fridays and the Christmas mm. campaigns of the world, all that kind of stuff. So whilst this is the initial test, I think it's 1%, 30 million users, I think it affects at the beginning. And then obviously they're going to roll it out, the internet weapons by September time. And then it should be all chilling by the end of the year. But when I was looking at it, I was thinking, right, so who wins and who loses? Because that's what people really want to know. Yeah, it's probably going to be like Joe Public who wins. Like, you know, normal people will welcome it because you don't like being tracked around the internet. That's, you know, it's pretty clear from a lot of people. But I think that what it should mean is that it's going to be a nice return to, you know, having really good, well thought through creative. It's going to put way more onus on like how you plan your campaign, the big idea that sits behind it, 
making sure that it links to everything else that you're doing, not physically through like a click, but has kind of a... Conceptually. Yeah, conceptually, that's the word I'm looking for. And and so if hopefully it should actually mean a really good thing for the industry and planning because everything has kind of been cheapened to this point, hasn't it? Where it's like, we're just A, B testing ourselves into oblivion. And, (laughs) you know, you've got the intricacies of reporting and the hours that anyone who works at the digital coldface spends, you know, in those hellish reporting calls talking about click-through rates and all this kind of stuff. And it will hopefully mean a a kind of return to the, the kind of fundamentals, which would be good. I would say who wins? The brands that focused on defining a robust data and digital transformation strategy when this was going to happen and also brands that have a CDP in in place and have an agency that has supported them. Who loses out of this? Performance media wonks who are just sort of like build themselves around just kind of you know the super tracking ultra detailed stuff which is you know a very tricky and, and noble profession but they're going to have a tough time if their job evaporates. Who have you got in terms of the the losers? Or I kind of thought, you know, your ad tech vendors and your performance ad tech vendors, all of those people benefiting from that detailed behavioural targeting, all of that, all of that stuff, all the things that as planners and buyers as well, you must have had some people come to you and some organisations come to you and you just think, how are you doing this? They'll be like, yeah, we can absolutely track anyone who bought a bottle of Evian, we can target them. And you're just thinking, how? How have you managed to do that? Yeah. So anyone doing that kind of stuff, unless they've got obviously different agreements mm. uh, with you know credit card providers and stuff in place, that's a little bit different. But it makes it less mainstream for people just to say that they can target anybody and everybody. So I think performance media wonks, as Jack so perfectly yeah, put it. Yeah, it's probably a <clears throat> disrespectful way of putting it, actually. I didn't, <laughs> didn't mean it like that. I mean, it's third-party cookies, so anyone who's operating in that space, yeah. third-party DSPs, SSPs, all of that kind of thing, anyone specialising probably in the performance targeting as well, in retargeting, that's going to take a serious hit. And then, as you kind of said, media buyers, us guys, all of those people working in media yeah. who, as you said, we've got, or I said we've got a bit lax. What, how did you put it? Did I say it cheapened it? We've we, cheapened, we cheapened it. Cheapened exactly. It, yeah. I said we've got a bit lax, and I think we might lose in terms of the ease that we've had up until now and putting together audiences. But I think ultimately we will win because people are going to have to be putting a lot more thought into it, just as Jack kind of mentioned. And we're going to get back to kind of meaningful advertising because everyone hates advertising. But we're good people. It became like a, it became just a bit of a, almost like a distraction from doing things right away. It was like, well, we can just like slap these segments together and, you know, hey, presto, we've got a campaign. But... I'll tell you, the other people who will win will be any media owners that have been kind of setting up for kind of the cookie-less future. Because, I mean, it has, the light at the end of the tunnel has been there for a long time. So loads of people have actually prepared for it. So they're, they're probably going to win out of it, I would say. People like Ozone. Got who loses. Who yeah. wins? Obviously, Google win. We already quite rightly mentioned all the walled gardens, paywall publishers, anyone who's got login data, mm-hmm. anyone who's got first-party data anyone who's been setting up for it, anyone who is specialising in contextual targeting. Because I've said it from the minute they said this, I was like, so we're just going back to contextual. Everything comes back around, everything's cyclical. And yeah, we got really caught up and distracted by behavioural targeting and all that kind of stuff. We're Mm. just going back to contextual segments, which have never been a bad thing. So I think anyone who's specialising in that is also winning. Yeah. Any others? Probably the social networks should do quite well out of this, like Meta especially, 
because you know that that performance money will drain out of you know performance display type field you know we'll talk about it a little bit more in a bit but like retail media yeah. is going to see a massive a massive surge in, in popularity due to a number of things but i think in part due to that as well no i agree and just on that the meta part you just said because obviously apple had already done something like this a few years ago and everyone was like oh my god oh my god we're not gonna have all the conversions we used to have and meta apparently at that time came out and said that they thought they would lose around $10 billion in revenue from the changes to Apple's tracking and not being able to have the the regular tracking that they had. But essentially, the internet's saying that it's completely bounced back. The revenues have bounced back and people adapt. That's the main thing people always forget. As an industry, we adapt every time. So we will adapt. Probably the biggest stress will be us telling our clients why we can't report on such and such anymore that's going to be the hardest part. Oh, we can't do that. We can't retarget in that way. We can't do this behavior anymore. We can't do this job title anymore because of in that way. Mm. But we have something else. So I I don't think it's going to really affect publishers in the way that people have been scared it will because as Jack quite rightly said, people have been preparing for it. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to affect the social networks because they've kind of already seen it. They know what they're doing and they will just adapt. And so will we. The rehumanization of advertising will be a huge trend. Ooh. We kind of alluded to it a little bit with some of the Google tracking and everything like that. Yeah. But with all of that coming into play, I think we all now need to connect with our audiences and the people we're advertising to on a more human level. We need to understand our audiences. We can't just rely on data that is spat out and we need to interrogate properly the briefs rather than just getting a brief and then being like who's got behavioral segments that can do this so i think that's going to be a huge one and off the back of that is but i mean you we sh- we should never have been doing that in the first place no but that's uh, but that's what i mean like, yeah a lot, i know a lot, a lot of people have done that but it's just terrible planning. it is it is terrible planning yeah i'm like well, actually no that's not true it's not terrible planning what, i just, just said getting that. a brief and then slamming it through some behavioral segments no you make sure that the right behavioral segments are included in your plan yeah but sometimes that forms like the biggest part of the plan and then there'll be other bits that you have added on there as well but yeah because i just no work it through actually because you you you've you've attacked me here <laughs> you've attacked <laughs> my planning style here <laughs> but now but let, like think about it and even if you were going to do ai stuff anyway that's what ai planning generally would do yeah so when people are talking about oh my job's going to get taken by ai it's because that's what you were doing and i have it written here and i was like if you're if you're scared that your job will be taken by ai it's because your job can be taken by ai we now have the opportunity to make ourselves indispensable once again within the industry, within agency, make sure that we are the best version of ourselves rather yes. than it being cheapened. Yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, no, I always try and bang this drum for like trying to remember that the people you're selling to are literally like your friends, your family. They're normal people. They have like nuance to them. And, you know, the whole kind of like sorting people into like, oh, we're trying to sell this product to gen z's who like soft drinks exactly you know that's it's not that's not a type of person so returning to like proper insight work you know really trying to actually think strategically and translate that strategy into a plan and you know planning for you know we always bang on at craft about like planning for notice over reach that's going to be more important than ever because actually you, you don't have that kind of crutch of you know, false digital media to, to lean upon. When it's done authentically, like it's not just mm. purpose-led for purpose-led sake, but 
I definitely see that as something that's going to happen more because we're seeing a lot of traditional brands and brands that a lot of us have grown up with kind of reaching like maturity. And so there's only so much you can just be just kind of like banging, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. Mm. Like if you look at, for example, like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a person, you go from all the mm. basic needs up into like self-enlightenment and all that kind of stuff and all the emotional stuff. Yeah. I think we're getting to a point where a lot of brands that we work on and that we are advertising for are also reaching that stage of maturity and they are having to drive societal change in places that they haven't been expected to before. So that's why I think the rehumanization of advertising will be a huge trend. Blimey. Okay, so trend number four. I think that CTV or the landscape will continue to fragment as we've, we've spoken a lot mm. about on, on previous podcasts. And that's largely due to the evolving offers of the SVOD services that we've we've obviously spoken about in the newsflash items. So yes. we, we will see that evolving more i strongly believe that we're following the same direction of the u.s landscape on top of that i think loads of them will start to follow the the kind of amazon disney netflix ad funded tier and it's like it's how cheap those tiers become because people are skint it's gonna be interesting to see how far that goes and indeed if if there become any sort of like completely free but like heavily advertised tiers which people might go to and it'd be kind of like return to normal telly one of the trends that i think is going to be really prevalent and it's kind of driven by a number of things is the growth of retail media so obviously everyone's like super aware of the fact that you can you just save so much money if you have a club card now and it's the same with nectar because they're trying to take all your data in and anyone who's kind of worked with those retail media media owners will kind of know how much they've grown and how much more sort of sophisticated it's become i think that in an environment where CMOs are under even more pressure from the boards, from CFOs to sort of justify what it is they do, being able to draw a really clear line between, you know, the money that you put in and the money that you get out in, in the form of ROIs is is going to be so big. And, you know, especially when it comes to sort of more FMCG goods, because it just becomes a really hard thing to argue against. The difficulty will be, in sort of maintaining CMO trust in, in brand marketing and all of that theory that we know underpins it. But I think that's, you know, we're only going to see that grow as the, as the year goes on. And your final trend, please, Jack. I think we're going to see a continued move towards humour within advertising. Bookie's mentioned about like purpose and stuff like that. And we have kind of been down the John Lewis, make everyone cry. Oh, it's so emotional advertising rabbit hole for a long time however I, th I think that we're going to start you know seeing well it's already begun there's a lot more funny ads than there were I think that people are going to see that this really does work there's funny and then there's entertaining we try and like you know talk about both for clients but it's in the same way that you know like the, the success of things like compare the meerkat that's it's just kind of it's it's advertising as entertainment you know you can be as clever as you like but ultimately, people will always remember something that's made them laugh or, you know, has actually interested them with some storytelling. So I think we're going to see a lot more kind of funny stuff coming through as well. What is the most standout advert that you remember? If someone's just said advert, what comes to your just mind immediately, right now, immediately? The Tango Apple advert from the 90s where the guy posts himself an apple every day and it drops through his letterbox into the juicer and then if his house fills up with juice and then the ceiling gives way and he's taped to the floor of his basement and all the all the tango apple just like hits him and then it's like wow that's a real apple drenching you know when you've been tangoed <laughs> yeah woof 
Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's ridiculous. But you, you, I don't know why it jumped. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's always an entertaining one. Yeah, that's what that's, that's exactly what I was trying to get at. I was go just on. Like, what's yours? So I've got two, but I'll go with one. The first one that comes into my head and it's more annoying, but again, it was entertaining and everyone knew about it. But remember the one about the double glazing? You buy one, you get one free. Like <laughs> never has anything stuck in my head more like that. Was it Was it, Was it? it for double glazing? I'm pretty sure because he was there and he's pushing all the double glazing windows <laughs> over. He's like, you buy one and you get one free. Right, to summarise, trends for 2024. Number one, the blend of the metaverse and AI. Number two, rehumanisation of media. Not purpose for purpose sake anymore. Number three, the cookie is crumbling. Number four, the growth of retail media. And number five, personality and humour in advertising returns. Let's go. Woo. I love it. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hello, media and on. So, for the first media and on of 2024... We've got, one of my New Year's resolutions is to improve my work-life balance. For years, I've worked in the evenings to build a good reputation for myself, and now I'm determined to only work the hours I'm paid for. However, I'm worried that people will think that I'm slacking now I've already set the precedent that I work more than I should. How do I set this new boundary? Good question. That is a good question. I mean, you should take a big old spoonful of not giving a fuck you know to like start it off and just see how do it for a bit and see see how people respond chances are you are gonna have to work late again at some point because we all do and that's just when the kind of push comes to shove you have to but like getting more done in your day to day or maybe prioritizing your day a bit better so that you can actually get something done and your entire workload done so you don't have to stay late Mm-hmm. That's that's the resolution. I think transparency and communication is key here. I think you can be as transparent with your team about mm. the fact that you are going to clock off at six or five thirty. Mm. Um, I think that is something that you should continue to communicate, and I that agree. encourages a positive working culture. I think the last part of that puzzle, because both of those bang on, but the last part of the puzzle, I think, is reframing your own definition of your success and you doing well, because that's probably the thing that will really get you Mm. is you will feel like you haven't worked enough because that's what you've been doing. And actually no one is really pushing you to do that, but you did it because you wanted to build your reputation and all of that kind of stuff. Ride your own coattails now and Mm. let yourself relax into the reputation that you built for yourself. Still do your job, but you don't have to work around the clock. Tell you what, you sound like you could start your own motivational podcast (laughs) along along the side. Yeah, I'll try my best. Yeah, you could wake me up in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Only work what you're paid for today. (laughs) I'm all right. So the second one is, I have been working in the same role for about three years now with no sign of progression and feel very underappreciated. However, the job market at the moment is pretty scary and I'm unsure as to whether I should look for a new job and potentially take a pay cut for my happiness or stick it out and hope to see my worth at some point. I'd like to know the role of this person because I think that would influence my my answer because naturally if you're more senior then you'd be in a role for longer. I would say that I'd hope that this person has already discussed or proactively brought this conversation up to their their seniors and has prepared accordingly by highlighting what they've done in the business for the last few years and that they're ready for that 
progressive step. And if they haven't, go on and do it. But also, you know, it's always good to have a put the feelers out for what's what, what's happening. I I do not think anyone should take a pay cut. That's a, a nah, personal thing. I, I think you know, let's not do that to ourselves. We all work <laughs> hard really enough. Hard. So, um, you know, just make sure you you do what you do to kick the conversation off if you haven't already. And, yeah. and ask why if you have like ask why you feel like you've you've remained stagnant for for three years. I think that's a fair question to put towards a senior member of staff. Yeah, I mean, firstly, like, sorry, that sounds kind Peak. of that kind of that sounds like it sucks. And sorry, you found yourself in that situation. I would think, like, in terms of like really sort of like practical steps you could take would be you could speak to your HR department and ask them for the job spec above yours and compare it with what you're actually doing. And if you're going through it and you can actually see that you're doing a lot of those responsibilities, you've got a pretty strong case to take to your boss. As Harriet said, I you know, hope you've already had a bit of that chat. But, I mean, at the same time, three years is a funny old time. People tend to get a little bit itchy feet. So, like, go on LinkedIn, speak to some recruiters, like, because there are still quite a lot of recruiters out there and there are places hiring. The job market's always scary, but, you know, if you back yourself and you get your CV into good order, you can actually spin your kind of extended period at your job level as a kind of really solid experience builder. And it doesn't necessarily kind of reflect bad on you. So I, re- I reckon it's, it's not all doom and gloom, but start of the year is a good time to make a change. Well, thank you for those and and keep sending them in. That wraps up today's episode. We hope you found it informative. If you like what you heard, like and subscribe and submit a media non on the show notes. Thank you and goodbye.